You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Great to be with you. We are uh, going through our series of um, understanding the different metaphors in the Bible for the church. We are the church and today, and uh, happily for me, I am looking, I've been given the subject of, uh, we are an army. Hooray! Amen! <laughs> Any soldiers in the room? Great. We're fa- <laughs> Lots of roaring soldiers. We're facing a real battle for our identity. It's one of the things we constantly face. And uh, it's not an unusual uh, topic for us to refer to. The fact that uh, we have uh, uh, one idea of who we are. Uh, the devil has an idea of what he wants us to think we are. Okay? So the enemy is forever accusing you. Uh, one of my favorite verses, uh, we, uh, the other uh, morning in staff prayer, Tom asked us to find our favorite verse, and I picked out a very verse that Hannah referred to. We are without blemish, free from accusation in Christ Jesus. But the enemy is always accusing you, and the enemy is always looking to make you believe something different about yourself than is actually true. Okay? And that's one of the things that I want to try and nail as we look at this together. We... Um, in Isaiah 9, Christmas is coming. You're very enthusiastic. And in Isaiah 9, one of our favorite passages at Christmas, for us, her son is born uh, and given. We read of the increase of God's government will be as it was in the Battle of Midian. You know, that's a strange sort of thing to throw in there. Midian, obviously, is the battle uh, that we read about in Judges 6 and 7 and 8 with Gideon. When God called Gideon to repel the Midianites who for seven years have been oppressing Israel. And this is seen as such an important battle in the history of Israel that God is happy to associate that with the coming kingdom of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's something about the principles of that battle that are quite helpful for us to unpick. We haven't really got the time to go through all of the verses there. But I'm going to, uh, if you have got your Bibles there... If you can turn to Judges 6, uh, the guys were asking, you know, could we put it up on the screen? But really, we're going to be looking through two or three uh, chapters, so it's hard to do that. But if you've got a Bible there and can keep it open in front of you, then you can follow it as we... I've got about uh, eight points here, which I'm never going to get through them all. Uh, So I'm going to get through probably one and a half and then panic and do six and a half by sort of bullet points. All right? But... um, Uh, Gideon is a very, very familiar story to many of us. Uh, Here we are, the Midianites have been oppressing Israel, but Israel had uh, turned against God. They had uh, forgotten everything God had done for them. They'd been disobedient to God. God had uh, stood back and let the enemy rush in. The enemy had then oppressed uh, Israel. And then God intervenes. He comes and uh, the people cry out to God. We read that in those first verses. And he intervenes and he finds Gideon sitting there hiding, trying to thresh his grain so that the enemy don't come in and steal it. And uh, he says, hey, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now, many of you have heard this uh, sermon preached. Just this, this is nailing the identity crisis. Gideon immediately says, no, you know, I'm the least of the least. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not, that's not me. And then God's saying, no, that's not how I see you. I see you as a mighty warrior. 
That's how I see you. Okay? And this is a, the first battle for us. Okay, the first battle for us is the battle for our hearts and minds and our sense of identity of who we are. Okay? And we are not helped by the fact that we are steeped in a culture which is trying to tell us something very different from what is really true for ourselves. I know Tom last week was talking about the fact that we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We've got to be very, very careful. We don't get sucked into thinking of ourselves in the way the world would want us to think about ourselves, in the way the devil would want us to think about ourselves. And every culture is different. They face different challenges. I would propose to you this morning that one of the chief challenges that we face in our culture, I'm speaking specifically of Britain. You may come from another culture, another nation, uh, it may be slightly different for you. You might think of different battleground is there for your culture. But if you're in this nation, if you're you know, not of Britain, but you're in Britain, then I'm trying to help you understand what it's a little bit like for us in our culture at the moment. I would say one of the, uh, the main pressures and challenges in our culture is that we have been duped into narcissism. Okay? We are increasingly self-obsessed. We always have been, but in a far more overt and public way now. Through social media, through trash TV, we're consumed with ourselves. We're consumed with our self-image. We're consumed with projecting what we want people to think about our lives and holidays and what we have for breakfast. And uh, we are consumed with comparing our lives with those on television, reality shows and what's going on in Essex and Chelsea and with Kim Kardashian and all these other people. And so we're, we're gripped by comparison, thinking, oh, you know, our life's never going to be like that. And this is where the devil wants to keep you, okay? He wants to keep you in this place where you're just thinking about yourself, just consumed with yourself, you know? And with all this sort of onslaught of uh, narcissistic social media, trash TV rubbish comes an onslaught on our mental health. I think we're seeing a surge in the uh, sort of uh, adolescents and, and young adults. We're seeing a surge of mental health issues that we've not known before because of this complete self-preoccupation and comparison and thinking, I'm never going to be what society wants me to be. And, I, you know, I can't... And they're trying to find the end of this rope that can't be found. And so people are self-critical. They're, 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 they're terrified of being judged. They're terrified of going out of the house because of what they think people might think of them. They're, they're, they're looking at other people's lives, the lies about other people's lives on social media and thinking, I can never have that sort of life. They have this perfect life with all these perfect holidays with their perfect husband and all their perfect children. And look at me, you know. Well, if the devil can keep you there, then he is rejoicing. I think this is one of the battles in our culture today. Would anybody agree? And so Gideon was a bit like this, you know, God comes over and says, oh, here we go, mighty warrior. And he's sort of doing the looking over his shoulder thing, you know, what? who's he talking about? Is he talking about, oh, he's talking about me. No, 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 you got the wrong one. That's not me, because the culture is, my world has told me that I'm the least of the least of the least. I'm the least in the tribe, I'm the least in my family. That's my identity, that's what the, my world has told me. So you must be talking about someone else. And he sort of gets into some sort of dispute and debate and battle with uh, God about this. And God has to keep reminding him about this. Oh, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. And then he goes on, you know, go in the might of yours. Come on, this is what you are. This is your identity. It's not what the world is telling you. And so one of the things I want to hit today, 
I've got a very, very carefully researched and structured sermon here of an exegesis through Judges 6, 7, and 8, but I fear it's going to just descend into a bit of a rant, right? Because okay? there's, there's one or two things I really want to hit uh, that are really focused in the first two points, and then all the beautiful symmetry and structure of the rest of my sermon will end in a heap when we finish. But one of these things I want to hit is, you know, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as the way the world, the way the devil wants you to see yourself? Be consumed with your own issues. Be completely self-obsessed. You know, I, 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 I've come to church so that people can look after me and care for me. Me, 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 me. You know, if, God can keep, if, if, the, if the devil can keep us like that, sort of dependent on having people, you know, look after me, 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 me. Rather than us saying, well, for me to live is Christ. Everything is Christ for me. I'm now going to throw everything on Christ. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my Lord and my Redeemer. I'm going to fix my eyes on him, the author and perfecter of my faith. No, no, no. If the devil can keep you thinking about yourself. Oh, me, 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 me. My little issues. You know, oh, dear, 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 dear. If he can keep you doing that, then he's knocked you out of the game. You're a useless soldier. Yeah? God says, ah. Mighty warrior. Whose report are you going to believe? The devil's saying, useless, rubbish, self-obsessed, self-absorbed. Yeah? God says, mighty warrior. Okay. So I just want you to think about that for a moment. Whose report do you believe? Gideon struggled. We know he went through all sorts of toing and froing with God with signs and fleece in and fleece out and da 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 da. Yeah, and God's saying, Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get on with it. Mighty warrior. Yeah, I told you. How do you see yourself, folks? Are you a soldier? Are you a soldier? <laughs> Are you a soldier? Are you a fighter? We're looking for a church of fighters here. We want some fighters, okay? We want some people to get out and do something, yeah? We're not going to stand for this nonsense in this world anymore. We're not going to stand for this rubbish. We're not going to stand for all these people standing against God. We're not going to stand for people being disobedient to our Lord. We're not going to stand for it anymore. We're not going to stand for letting the devil have his day. We're not going to stand for the devil having his running rampant in our town and running off with the souls of men and women and telling them they're rubbish and carrying them off to hell. I'm not going to stand for it anymore. Okay, I'm not a strong man. I've, I'm a pretty weak man. I'm an introvert. You know, I want to hide in a bucket in a corner somewhere with, with Tim. Me and Tim go and hide in a corner somewhere. A little sort of uh, little introverts together. You know, that's just what I want to do. You know, I don't want to stand up here. I have to. I have to push myself to stand up here because it's not in my nature. I'm not an ambitious man. I'm not thinking, oh, here we go. I'm going to stand up on the platform now. Great. You know, I'm a, generally speaking. Pretty sort of uh, introvert, reclusive person, but I met Jesus. All right, I met Jesus. That doesn't mean that suddenly I've suddenly become like a different person. And what it means is, I all of those ridiculous, self-absorbed things that people who have those sort of characteristics can be prone to have been completely overwhelmed and absorbed and blown away by the fact that I'm standing with my king and I'm passionate about his kingdom 
I want to build something to the glory of God, and I am enraged by the enemy coming in trying to steal and trying to stand up against my king. I'm enraged about that. I'm angry. Okay? My old man, Janitor Morris, is angry. <laughs> okay? And I'm going to fight because I'm a soldier. All right? And every one of you in this room is no different than me. You've got all your own issues and blah, 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 blah. You know? Right? You're no different than me. You've met the king. You've met the king. <laughs> He's with you. He's with you. I mean, you know, as I say, I told you my exegesis got out the window. You know, God said to Gideon, hey, I'm with you. Don't forget that. And I'm going to build something. Don't you love that? In Nehemiah chapter 4, where it talks about the fact that the, the families, is, I mean, I was tempted to preach about Nehemiah, not that I'm preaching about Gideon, but anyway, the, um, <clears throat> we'll get there. The, uh, you know, in Nehemiah, there are families building and fighting. They, had, they, were, they were building, with their tra- you know, doing their work, and they were fighting. What a brilliant picture that is for us as Christians. Right? This is how God sees you. Right? He doesn't see you as some sort of hopeless case, or worthless case, or pew fodder, or someone just sort of... No, he said, oh, great, you've saved soldier. Are you saved soldier? You belong to Jesus? You're in the army. Great, come on then. Let's get building. We're going to build something beautiful here. We're going to build a beautiful outpost of heaven. We're going to build something so beautiful that it will attract people to our God because we're building this beautiful community from living stones where people really are devoted to one another in brotherly and sisterly love and are learning how to build genuine community and where the presence of God is happy to dwell and people can come among us and meet God. I'm building something beautiful here rooted in grace Freedom from legalism and stupid ideas that people associate with religion. And we're going to take this and we're going to multiply it. We're going to take it to town after town and nation after nation. I'm building something. But also I'm fighting something. I'm fighting the efforts of the enemy to oppress, to carry away, to rob and to steal and to lie. I'm fighting that. I'm not going to stand for it. I'm fighting. I'm not going to be some passive standby person. I'm going to fight. When I see injustice, I'm going to fight. When I see poverty, I'm going to fight. When I see lies, I'm going to fight. When I see evil, I'm going to fight. When I see immorality, I'm going to fight. Are you going to fight? You're a soldier. (laughs) Wonderful. So what can we learn from Gideon's army? Well, here we go. First of all, in Judges 6, if you were to read through that, you'd see how the culture was fallen. We see that description in the first verses there. The enemy was oppressing the people of God. God's people were in hiding. Whatever crop or fruit they produced was snatched by the enemy. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? And the people of God cried out. And we see the people of God crying out to the Lord in verse 7. And God spoke to them reminded them of what he'd done in the past, told them what he'd do in the future, and raised up an unlikely warrior in Gideon who gathered around him an unlikely army. I mean, it's a pretty unlikely army when you start with 32,000 soldiers. God says, ask them if they're a bit frightened. Who isn't frightened to go to war? <laughs> you know? And 22,000 pack up and go home. So he's left with 10,000. Thanks a lot, God. 
You know, couldn't we have asked them something else? And then it's right, okay, now we're going to find the acid test for whether these soldiers are suitable for your army. Go and see how they drink. You know, it's a bit like us saying, right, we're going to go and uh, we're going to have a football game against the best team in the country. Let's go and play, uh, oh, I, oh, I've got to be careful now, the best team in the country. <laughs> Let's go and play Norwich City, okay, all right. <laughs> and good one. All right, we're going to select our team. Let's all go over to the Gardener's Arms and we'll order everybody a pint of beer and we'll see which ones choose a straight glass and which ones choose one of those funny bobbly glasses with a handle. And we'll take all the ones who take the bobbly glasses with a handle. And that's how we choose our army. That's essentially, have you read the story? That's essentially how God ended up leaving Gideon with 300 people. So it's it's an unconventional army. But the key was this. Gideon was challenging God. He's saying, why is it like this? You know, you're the one who's delivered us. And he's saying, look, you know, in verse 12, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, look, if you're with us, why has this all happened? We're unhappy with this. Nehemiah was unhappy when he saw the state of Jerusalem. And he saw, okay, great, we've got the temple sorted out, but the walls are all burnt and broken down. I'm unhappy with this. And he he sat in front of the king and looked unhappy. (laughs) So the king said, you look unhappy. He says, I'm unhappy. Why are you unhappy? Because I'm not happy with this. I'm not content with this. Now, and that motivated Nehemiah to action. He was not going to take it. And I want to... If I want to leave anything, there are two things I really want to get across to us this morning. One is, how do you see yourself? Don't allow yourself to see yourself the way the enemy wants you to see yourself, but allow yourself to see yourself the way God wants you to see yourself. Lots of yourselves in that sentence. God wants to see yourself as a warrior. You're a fighter. He doesn't want you to be self-consumed and self-obsessed, which is what the world wants you to be. Okay? So that's the first thing I was wanting to nail. The second thing I want us to nail is... Let's do something, folks. If we're soldiers, let's fight. Soldier, a soldier looks daft when he's just sat there eating pizza and playing cards. You know, a soldier's supposed to be fighting. You, do, you fight. Okay? And here we have Gideon and Nehemiah saying, I'm not happy with this. I want us to, this morning, allow God to stir us and not to be content with the world that we're living in. All right? We look around the world and we see people under all sorts of oppression and persecution. And you think, well, thank God that I'm not living in that. But we are facing our own challenges. And one of the major challenges we face is comfort. We face comfort. This is the biggest challenge for Christians today. We face comfort. Actually, there's nothing really. Actually, keep it quiet, lads. We're doing all right here. This is quite nice. You know, we've got food, house, TV. That's all right. We just cruise to heaven. Okay? This is the biggest enemy for us. Uh, we must nurture a healthy discontent with the world that we're living in. You've got to, you know, Gideon was not happy. Nehemiah was not happy. God was not happy. He so loved the world, he sent his son. Yeah? It moved him to action. Now, folks, we have got to be so discontent with this world. Okay? got to develop a healthy discontent for this world. Don't accept things for the way they are. Which brings us to this discussion, which I've had before with you some years ago, of one of what was a very, very well-known sin in medieval days, 
It was the sin of Asidi. I don't know if any of you ever remember me talking about this. A-C-C-I-D-I-E. You can Google it. It was a very popular sin in medieval times. <laughs> or at least they liked uh, talking about it. And uh, it's a sin that actually it's, it was uh, taken very, very seriously in generations past, a significant sin. And um, it means uh, the sin of withdrawing into passivity. Okay, And this is identified as a significant sin. Um, and we know it's identified that way in um, Proverbs when we read about the sloth and the lazy man. There's some of the sort of personalities that we read about in, uh, through that amazing literature in Proverbs. We know Paul is addressing this often about you know, uh, idleness and laziness and apathy and passivity. And this is seen as a sin. You know, those who see the good that should be done and don't do it, they're, they're sinning. You know? It's more than mere sloth, slothfulness. It's a sort of a beyond caring. It's a, it just left numb and unfeeling, unmotivated, beyond cynicism. You know, what can we do? What can we do? Look at the world. What can we do? They've changed the legislation. Now, what can we do? What's the point of doing anything? Nothing's going to change. It expresses itself in two ways. It, it, it can be a, a withholding, a, a sort of a lack of ambition. We've got, you know, somehow we expect someone else is going to do something about it, but it's not my responsibility. And the Bible describes this as sinful behavior. It's not the behavior of a soldier. You know, oh, never mind, just leave it. It's the sin of a city, and also in terms of uh, blame shifting. I mean, we live in a world of bl- we want to blame someone, don't we? If there's a blame, there's a claim. You know, we want to blame. There's got to be someone's. It's got to be someone's fault. Maybe you just tripped up. No, it was that paving slab. Someone's fault. Someone's to blame. It's not my responsibility. Yeah, you know all the famous stories, like the lady who put her pet poodle in a microwave oven to dry it off because that's what she always did with her normal oven. And she won a court case because the microwave oven said, didn't say on it, don't put your pet poodle in here to dry it off. You know, and I can show you, there's a hundred court cases like that. But it's not my fault I put my pet poodle in a microwave oven. You should have told me, you know. The guy who put the metal ladder on the electricity pylon, yeah, successfully won his case because no one's, they don't put a label on the ladder saying, don't put this on the electricity gate. Come on! Hollywood, the whole narrative of just about every film you'll see or TV show you'll see, there is a a sub-narrative of the fact that it's someone else's fault. That person's behavior is not there, it's someone else's fault. They behave like that because of that or because of of this. This is the sin of a city. It's passivity. It's withdrawing. It's not taking responsibility. It's saying it's not my problem. NMP, as we used to say in my military days, NMP, not my problem. That is not what a soldier is called to. A soldier is called to take responsibility, to follow orders, to get up and do something about this. Okay, And so we need to be aware of the culture we live in. We live in a culture that wants us to be self-obsessed. We live in a culture that wants us to believe that there's nothing we can do. All right? That's what our culture wants, us to, wants to tell us. And we want to raise an army of people here who are saying, we're not standing for this. I'm not standing for this anymore. 
I'm not accepting this injustice. Now, when I was talking about this earlier today, someone came to me and recommended to me uh, different agencies and organisations that we could subscribe to that are lobbying and battling for uh, you know, ethical matters um, in Parliament and so on and so forth, you know, pro-life and all these things. Very, very important, and I absolutely commend it, and I absolutely endorse it. Uh, what I want to try and hit here is what you're facing day to day. What is it that you're facing day to day that you're, you're accepting and living with that actually, as a soldier, you should not be accepting, you should be fighting it? You know? What, uh, uh, in, you know, that person in the workplace who's being bullied, you can see it happening, you know, but I'm not sure I can do about that. If I might lose my job, I might not get promoted. Well, that's not what a soldier's going to do. A soldier's going to do something about that. I'm not going to stand for this injustice. You know, all these children we've just been hearing about who've been born into desperate situations. It's never going to stop. We're never going to, it's never going to stop that. It's going to happen again and again and again and again. Or some will be stirred to say, I'm going to do something about that. I'm not going to accept it. I'm going to take some of these children. I'm going to create them the opportunity. There's a guy, I thought the, great, the guy on the video I thought was great. He wasn't saying, look, you know, this is all, this, we can't guarantee you this, this sort of... Uh, phenomenal sort of Hollywood ending to this story, but you can do something to make this person's life better. You can create an opportunity for them. You can't guarantee an outcome, but you can do something. <clears throat> I thought that was a very, very honest observation. But you say, we're going to do something about this. You know, that person on the street that no one visits and no one talks to, their curtains are always shut, everybody ignores them. I'm not going to put up with that. I'm not going to let the devil just isolate them until the grave. I'm going to do something about that. Yeah, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get up and do something. About, am I? Am I connecting here? I want. You know, you're not called to passivity. You're not called to self-obsession. You're not called just to sit in the corner and say, "Well, there's nothing we can do." You're a soldier of Christ. You've been sent here to do something. That's why you're here. And I am absolutely confident that if I were to sit down with every one of you and say, "Well, let's just talk about your next week and see if there's some opportunity." for you to get up and do something for the cause of Christ as a warrior for Christ, I will find something. You're not going to tell me, oh, there's nothing really, there's nothing I can do, there's nowhere, there's no context I'll be in or relationship I in interact with or situation I'll find myself in where I can't actually fight for justice or fight for Jesus or fight for you know, uh, peace or love or grace. Yeah? I'm absolutely confident. All right? I'm, in, I'm in Finland next week, so I won't have the opportunity to do it. <laughs> But if I opened my office door, and if I had an office here and said, right, come and see me, let's look at your week, let's see if there's an opportunity for you to fight, we can find something. Okay? You're all soldiers. You're all warriors. Don't allow the devil to tell you otherwise. Don't slip into passivity. Don't sit back. Get up! You haven't got many years here. All right? This is just like a little snuff. We'll be gone. Just gone. All right? And then you'll be in eternal bliss. Okay? Where you don't have any self-neurotic issues to analyze. All right, you'll be sitting there thinking, what can I worry about today? I can't think of anything to worry about. Yeah, what weakness can I ponder that disqualifies me today? I can't think of any. Yeah, that day's coming. In the meantime, while you're here, we've got a small window of opportunity to do something for the glory of God. You've got a very, very limited opportunity to say, right, I'm going to fight the devil here. I'm going to push him back. I'm not going to let him have his way in our society. I'm not going to let him have his way in my workplace or in my neighborhood. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to stand for it. I'm not going to let him knock me out of the game by getting myself to be self-obsessed with my own little issues. They pain into his significance when I'm with the king. So, 
I'm just trying to stir your hearts. Don't accept way, uh, things the way they are. I hope I've, I've uh, stirred you about that. Cry out to the Lord, we pray. We discuss that. Let's cry out to the Lord. It's so good being together with so many of you for the uh, Enough prayer meeting. I really think it's such a meaningful, helpful opportunity. Who was there for Enough? I mean, it was great, wasn't it? It was just so good, the worship, the opportunity to pray and feel you're really doing something meaningful. When that time comes around again, please can I encourage you to make it a priority in your diaries and come along for that. But it's really important here what, um, you know, we're saying that God wants to draw our attention to this battle with the Midianites. So he's, he's saying, look, it's like the day of Midian. When we see the increase in government of Christ in our day, it's like this battle. Well, what's like this battle? First of all, we need to remember who we are. Uh, we are mighty warriors. Secondly, we need to not be content with the situation we're facing. We're not settling for this. We want to see something change. Thirdly, we cry out for, to God. These are some of the values and principles we see from Gideon. Thirdly, fourthly, we remember what God has done. You read this in verses 8 to 11. We must remind ourselves constantly of what God has done. I so enjoyed our worship today, and I enjoyed uh, Hannah's leading of our worship, just reminding us who we are. And this is what the Lord says. I'm just picking out from these verses in chapter 6, 8 to 11. I saved you. I carried you out of bondage. I rescued you from slavery. I took you out from the power of the enemy. I took you out from all oppression. I drove out the enemy. I've given you this land. I am God. Don't worship other gods. Are you paying attention? Yeah? This is what God has done. He's reminding us, and he's done that for every one of us. This is a beautiful uh, meta uh, illustration to us of Christ and what he has done and what he has delivered us from and what the freedom he has brought us into. And he's saying, don't give your attention to other gods. Don't give your attention to the gods of this world. Come on, remember what I've done for you. Every one of you here is a trophy of grace. Yeah? Every one of you here represents the triumph of the cross. Every one of you here, every one of you, turn to your neighbor and just say, you are a trophy of the grace of God. Go on, be American. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Hallelujah, brother. Apparently someone turned up this morning, they heard me preaching in the first time uh, over the speaker downstairs and thought they had a, a guest American preacher here today, young American. I don't think they thought that when they saw me, but anyway. Yes. It's good to remind ourselves. Remember what God has done. Oh, yeah, but me, I'm, I'm so useless. I'm not worthy. Oh, come on. Remember what God has done. Please. We can't get anywhere if you don't remember what God has done. If you're going to spend all yourselves going, me, 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 miserable worm, we can't do anything. You're a soldier. For goodness sake, stand up. <laughs> you can see why I, I'm not on the pastoral team, can't you? see? <laughs> <laughs> Or if you care for this person, stand up. Stop being a miserable worm. God bless you. So we remember what God has done, and we remember what God has said. Verse 12, we already read it. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Remember what God has said. That's how he sees you. Verse 14, the Lord turned and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not? Do not I send you? Go in the strength you have. I started off with thirty-two thousand. Now I've only got three hundred. Go in the strength you have. I don't feel strong enough for this. I'm not bright enough. I haven't got the the education. 
I don't know what to say. You know, what am I going to say if I stand up in front of that person and say, this is not right? I don't want to say. Oh, so, no, hang on. I sent you. I'm sending you. Don't say, he says to Jeremiah, don't say I'm a child. Yeah? Don't say that. I'm sending you. He said to the, uh, the disciples, you know, I'll give you the words to the Holy Spirit himself. will give you the words to say. You have to think about that. That's not an excuse. All right, it's my pastoral hat on again. It's <laughs> not an excuse. Because God said, I'll give you the words to say. You'll know what to say. All right? Remember what God has said, verse 16. I haven't got my glasses on today. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. You shall strike the Midianites as one man. I'll be with you. As we often say, one person plus God is a mighty majority. Okay? We often say it, but it's absolutely true. Feel lonely in the workplace? You're not alone. <laughs> you bring God with you, and he brings quite a lot to the party. All right? Okay? You're not alone at college. You're not alone in your neighborhood. You're not alone in your unsafe family. Okay? No, you're not on your own. God's with you, and he's sending you, and he's saying, now do something about this. Okay? So Gideon then goes on in verse 25 to 30. He goes on to sort out this altar that the Israelites have put up to Baal. And this is the point, really, from this. I've got many other points. I'm not going to have the time to get to them, so we'll, we'll just uh, visit this one briefly and then summarize. But you've got to sort out your home life first. That's what it's saying. If you want to be a soldier for God, if you want to go and make a difference in the world, make sure you've won the battles in your own home first. Yeah? This is important. So before Gideon could go and battle the Midianites, he had to sort out the problems in his own household. You had to tear down the altar to Baal. You got to sort out your own affairs at home first. Okay? Work out your own salvation. Put it into practice at home. As for me and my household. Yeah? Win the private battles. Slay the private Goliaths. Discipline yourself to a pure life. Get your marriages right. Put faith in action in the home. Then you can carry the grace of God into the workplace and into the neighborhood. Okay? Gideon had to win this battle at home first. Okay? God's, it's important to God. It's important to God. Okay? Watch out for the shabby things. Watch out for the shabby things in this world. That, you know, As uh, that great uh, theologian Bono from U2 would say, sweet the sin, but bitter the taste in my mouth. You know, the shabby things. Don't give time to the shabby things. Set your heart on what is noble and pure and honorable and upright and beautiful. Think of these things. Celebrate innocence. Enjoy innocence. Be careful what you take into your eyes and into your ears. Celebrate innocence. Sat down with my family yesterday and we watched The Incredibles. <laughs> it's one of my favorite films. I love innocence. Just love innocent entertainment. You can go and watch your sort of worldly wise films and art uh, house movies and gratuitous violence and a little bit of sex, but it's all right because it serves the story. That's not for me. Yeah, my favorite films are Toy Story and Monsters, Inc. Celebrate innocence. <laughs> Get it right in your home first, folks. Right? And then you can go and fight the fight out there. But win the fight in your home first. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.